I don't know, did you ever wonder what Sony uses to power their e-commerce business or Coca-Cola or Motorola or other big names in uh, e-commerce and retail? Well, today the secret is going to be revealed. And I am talking about Vitex. Vitex is the first and only fully integrated commerce marketplace and OMS solution that offers fastest time to revenue and no upgrades like Ever. So if you're an e-commerce brand and you're looking to, to find a software that can really become a powerhouse to your business, providing you the best go-to-market speed, flexibility, daily updates and reports, and overall platform stability and agility, you really have to check these guys out. So make sure you go to visit vtex.com, that's vtex.com today, and give that e-commerce business a boost. Welcome to a new episode of e-commerce growth stories. I'm Valentin Radu from Omniconvert and I'm here with uh, Serjan Popovich all the way from Toronto, Canada. So hello, Serge, and uh, welcome to the show. Valentin, thanks for having me, man. You are, more, you are wo- more than welcome. So just to give a, a, a bit of context to our audience, Serge is the Chief Marketing Officer at Crossroad, a fast-growing fitness brand on a mission to inspire millions of people to get fit in a fun, different, and affordable way with their highly rated jump rope system. He's coming up today to shed some light on how exercising is done differently with Crossrope and what we can learn from his marketing insights. So Serge, we're here. Let us know how you've got here, how you've got into the e-commerce and marketing arena. If you, if we can get a time machine and uh, remember how it was back then. Oh yeah, that's a that's always a fun question for me. Um, definitely not a typical journey to get into the e-commerce space. Um, so I think there were maybe a handful of moments in my life that sort of led to it. You know, uh, my family moved to Canada when I was, you know, five, six years old. Um, So we kind of started from nothing. And I feel that's where a lot of drive and ambition has come from. Um, You know, I played basketball when I was growing up. It's always been a big part of my life. And that's what essentially led to my, you know, passion for uh, fitness and training in general. It was a big part of the sport. Um, when I was in high school, you know, I, I think I accidentally took this course called communications technology, where I first got introduced to, you know, um, building websites at that time, it was like Dreamweaver and flash and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we learned all about like video editing. We learned about audio recording and sort of like a, just a, really interesting course. I remember I crushed it because I I just enjoyed it so much. And then, you know, I did the prototypical uh, thing. I went into engineering because, you know, my parents were were all about engineering at that time. And so 
Um, did five years of that, finished with a degree in mechanical engineering, went into the field, you know, and I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I had a pretty uh, great gig. I was in a structural engineering field doing all sorts of product design and whatnot, ran my own department. So all along uh, these years, while I was uh, an engineer, um, I was sort of tinkering with the online uh, marketing stuff. It never sort of left me since those high school days. So uh, I ended up building a fitness blog. That's where like that fitness element um, really comes mm-hmm. back. And so I built this fitness blog. This was probably starting in 2010. Um, tinkered with it. It was it was my playground. I loved writing, still do, um, and loved you know exploring and uh, figuring out new ways to um, get fit using portable fitness equipment. So I loved kettlebells. I loved jumping rope, body weight stuff, and. Uh, essentially I, I, I added a YouTube component to it and that's when things started to really, um, you know, work for me. I started, you know, generating a lot of, um, traction through that channel and that's, you know, the jump rope space is really small. And back in 2012, that's how I met, uh, our CEO now, Dave Hunt. Um, you know, he launched this crossroad product, um, roughly at the same time, my, some of my videos were doing really well and the space was, really small. It was a tiny niche. And so you can't miss each other. So we started working together, collaborating. I was still doing my thing, you know, building this blog and channel on the side. He was in the Navy at the time. Um, and so 2015, um, came around and he's like, Hey, let's just go for this thing. And so, um, you know, it was a big moment in my life. I mean, I was in a pretty, uh, I guess, uh, important phase in my engineering career. And I chose to put it all on pause to give this thing a go. Um, figure if there was ever a time, um, to pursue this passion for online marketing, online for tech, for fitness, sort of all, uh, converged and, uh, took the leap and it was the best decision ever made. So here we are, uh, six years post that mark still going. That's great. So, uh, Serge, regarding the, uh, the, the humble beginnings, let's say, when, when you've just started out, how it was, how, how you've made it that uh, you, you've attracted visitors first time on, on the website? We, we, what, the, what was your uh, secret sauce, let's say, if there was any? Are you talking about in 2015 when, I, when I, we first started with Crossroad? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I came in with a very you know, fundamental basic understanding of online marketing. There are some things that really work for me and that those are the first things I brought to Crossroad. Um, and at that time, um, one of the things that really clicked for us uh, that we started getting traction through was launching sort of like these free online fitness uh, challenges. You know, uh, there's some other industries where challenges were big and for us like, hey, let's just, let's just put value out there. Um, and so we started hosting doing these really robust 30 day free fitness challenges, you know, bringing in people into the, into the marketing funnel that way, uh, giving away a ton of free content, you know, bringing people together into a, you know, a private fitness like group on, on Facebook, which we can talk about cause that's a big part uh, of our structure right now. Um, but once we started bringing people together and over, over like one event that they can all connect on, um, you know, people started, you know, talking about it, sharing it. Um, so we were starting to really ramp up in those early days through that, um, through that, I guess, acquisition um, channel. 
And then there were other, you know, we really just tinkered. I mean, both Dave and myself are engineer, have engineering backgrounds. And so it was really just testing different things, trying different things, seeing what clicks, what doesn't. Um, and one of the pivotal, I'd say, moments for us was uh, adding a little bit more structure to the way we um, we operated as a business. Um, so we we came across. Uh, I'm sure you're, you're aware of traction and the EOS system. Like that yeah. was a real uh, introducing that system into our business in 20 early parts of 2016. I mean, it just changed the way we approached, you know, what we did, how we operated. And so since then, it really guided us in terms of, hey, where do we want to focus? Um, you know, and so from there, sort of things came together, spiraled a little bit here and there. We've had a pretty steady uh, growth ever since. But it all kind of started with this, like, how, how can we get value out there? Let's host these challenges. We started doing them every month. More and more people started finding out about cross rope, jumping rope in general. I mean, it's a, it's a growing exercise, even though it's more yeah. the oldest. Um, and so that's how it started coming together early on. So what about the, the, the adoption of the, of the product? Have you analyzed that? Have you analyzed the feedback of the first customers? How, how, how the products evolved based on the feedback, if you can share with us? Sure. Yeah. Um, for context, I mean, we rely pretty heavily on, on feedback. I mean, the, the product itself it's probably every component has uh, has been changed at least once uh, since the inception, and so we're we're very big on uh, product design uh, based on feedback, and that has sort of translated into sort of we have this companion fitness app now, and that's sort of uh, you know uh, using the same feedback methods. But early on, I mean, it was mostly through you know uh, customer calls. Uh, it was a lot of participating and being part of this Facebook group. I mean, it was a treasure trove of of information and feedback and what people were saying about, you know, what they liked and disliked about the length lengths of the ropes and the size of the handles and the texture when their hands get sweaty um, and the sort of combination of rope lengths and weights that they get. And so, that, I mean, our product looks today in essence, looks it's the same uh, fundamental principle of having different uh, weights of ropes that you can clip in and out of your handles. But everything mm-hmm. from the materials to the texture, um, you know, to the um, the rope combinations to the weights. I mean, that was largely driven by what customers were telling us. And what you know, uh, something that I think is important. You know, we're heavy users of the product ourselves. You know. Dave created the first crossrope prototype because he couldn't bear using any more of those uh, weighted ropes to just keep breaking the, uh, before then. And so I used to jump rope before I joined crossrope. So we're always heavy users. I mean, this is part of our own fitness routines, a big part of our own fitness routines. And so, you know, we have our own nuances and things we like that we fed back into the product um, uh, iterations. And so, Eventually, I mean, that evolved into more robust systems. You know, I know you guys talk about MPS a lot. That's a big component uh, for how we get feedback um, in terms of just general, obviously, uh, uh, organizational feedback, product feedback, customer uh, experience and service feedback. So, you know, now it's probably half a dozen to a dozen different uh, places that we compile and aggregate feedback from and aggregate 
you know, fed back into, you know, we, we try to launch a new version of the product every two years and usually looks very different um, than what the previous model is. And a lot of that is at this point, I feel like we've gotten it to um, where it'll probably be for a bit. Like you can only optimize it so much. Um, so a lot of that feedback is now going into the app and, you know, really trying to deliver a, a fun and unique experience there. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, uh, it's important, Serge, to, to, to emphasize a bit about this, uh, about your journey. What were the most uh, impactful struggles that uh, allowed you to, to, to innovate and to, uh, let's say, get to the next level thanks to, to, to those struggling moments? Um, I'd say initially it was a little bit of, you know, figuring out what category we want to be in and what, where, where we wanted to play. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, exercise or like the fitness industry as a whole is obviously, uh, massive with, you know, different options. Um, with jumping rope, I mean, uh, initially it all started like, all right, you look at all the jump rope manufacturers and retailers, they're all going after the CrossFit space, right? I mean, th- that's where um, that's where there were people looking for uh, for specialized jump ropes, but it was all about the same thing. They all wanted lighter. They all wanted faster. That's all they cared about. And it was very difficult to enter that space. And so um, just because people just loved their ropes, they were loyal to their ropes and, you know, that's what they were going to use. So that was our, those were our early attempts. You know, we'd go to CrossFit boxes. We try, we do workshops and um, eventually we just realized like that's not the area we wanted to play. Um, we had larger ambitions. And so we sort of pivoted into this different category, a category, category I came and say existed. Um, and this is jump rope fitness. Um, and so let's not worry about CrossFit. Let's not worry about the tricks and the freestyles. Let's just focus on creating uh, a product that serves those people that are looking for a different way to do cardio, right? Cardio, most people find boring and monotonous and it's just dreadful. Most people hate it. Yeah. You know, it just so happens that the jump rope is one of the greatest cardio tools you have, which is why it's been around for so long used by athletes and, you know, um, uh, you know, more lately in, in, in other sports. And so, uh, it sort of allowed us to create the product in a way where when you add that resistance component, now it becomes a more dynamic exercise tool. Right. And so, um, to answer your question, I mean, the pivotal moment for us, like the, early on, it was like, Hey, where are we going to play? Right. Do we want to be like a jump rope for the CrossFit community? You know, are we going to enter like this freestyle trick section? It's just going to be some sort of like general rope or do we want to like focus in and really dial in on serving those customers that have a fitness need, right? It's obviously a much larger market, much more difficult market because now we're uh, competing against all sorts of other fitness solutions that are geared towards, you know, making cardio fun and accessible, et cetera. So um, when we decided to go that route, I mean, that's where, you know, really allowed us to focus, focus our content, uh, focus, you know, like these, it's where some of these challenges that come from as well, right? Like it's all about, Hey, how, how do we help people lose the, lose a few pounds? How do we help people, you know, improve their endurance, their cardio, their strength. And so that's everything sort of, uh, focused in around that. And so that was, um, I'd say tinkering around with the different communities initially. It was, it was, uh, tricky, um, 
But that eventually led us to make this call on, hey, let's just focus in and build this category of jump rope fitness. And so we've been doing that um, ever since. Excellent. So uh, uh, on your website, uh, uh, there is a, a, an intense, uh, uh, let's say, the component of social proof. And you're, you're, you've said that you, you've started initially by building a community, by going out there in the in, in 3D, in the 3D world, let's say. But how 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 come you've you've managed to to know to to have people uh, sharing uh, their results with you? Because it's clear that the fitness community and this this tool, even the, even though it's uh, so so simple, and you've made it uh, uh, the the weighted uh, uh, jumping rope, uh, is affecting their lives. So tell us about how Social Proof became a, a component of your website. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, what people really care about is, you know, the results that they're going to get, you know, from the, from whatever it is. So for us, I mean, we're the jump rope or the weighted jump rope system, yeah, it's just the medium to getting from, you know, uh, where you are right now in terms of the way the, the way you look and feel to where you want to be, uh, where you aspire to be. And so we're well aware of that. We need, you know, and we've sort of uh, been aware of that from the very beginning. Um, so when we first started, um, we've struck, we structured these challenges in a way to, to sort of engineer uh, and manufacture, like get people really incentivized to share um, so early on in the days when we run these challenges, there were, you know, prize packs and giveaways and whatnot that were built into these um, that would incentivize people to share their befores and afters. And, you know, a lot of uh, fitness brands did that at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, for now, like uh, how that, I, how I feel that's changed over the years. I mean, especially when you look at some of the larger brands, it's, it's more like, an aspirational lifestyle. It's less about the before and afters. Like when you go on the Pelotons or some of the, some of the other larger um, growing even connected fitness brands or just fitness brands in general, it's more about how it makes you feel, how it integrates into your lifestyle. And so for us, I mean, that's really pivoted into um, leaning harder and harder on UGC. It's less about like, Hey, um, you know, let me see how much weight you lost. It's like, let, let's, let's see you using the product, enjoying the product, uh, seeing it out in the wild. Um, and you know, different people like to integrate cross rope into their workouts and their lives in different ways. So it's showcase that. And so yeah. I like to show the before and afters because that at the end of the day, that's people want results and those, those work. Um, but people also want to see how they, how they can integrate cross rope into their existing routines, into their life. And so we try to balance it out with some UGC that we get from our community, that we get from our customers. And so that's sort of changed the over the years. Yeah. Serge, regarding the, the way you are seeing growth at this moment, so thanks to your experience right now, what would be your suggestion to, to brands which are just starting out, not particular in the fitness category, in the sports category, but let's say, uh, if you would be sharing some uh, wisdom from your path until today to direct-to-consumer companies, which will, what would those advices uh, sound like? Um, I'd say 
community and having like a, a way to speak with customers, um, sort of participate with customers is, a is where I'd start. So for example, like our, you know, I would uh, figure out a way to replicate what we did in terms of uh, delivering value and creating a place for people to um, to come together, uh, to work together on, on a unified goal or whatever it is. And, and your brand is really just, uh, you know, a component of that, right? So I've seen other brands do this, you know, successfully. There's a way to, you know, build challenges and events. Like people are just looking for ways to, especially today, um, come together. Uh, and so I think figuring out how to deliver value um, and how to bring people together serves a few different purposes. One, um, obviously your brand and your product is tied to that. But two, um, it allows you to compile and generate an insane amount of feedback um, around your product, around what you can do better, what you can... And it's, and it's, it's not necessarily... Um, an expensive approach. So I think for us, especially early on, I mean, we were able to generate a lot of interest, uh, you know, if you can structure uh, a challenge or an event the right way. So for me, I'm, I mean, everyone's focusing in on the paid socials and the, and, and the traditional acquisition channels. And I feel like those are just changing too quickly, too saturated, too expensive. Um, so I'm looking for ways for how I can, uh, approach it differently. And I've, I don't see brands doing this as much where they're creating events or, and or challenges to bring people together. And I think just, um, uh, if you can get creative about it, I think it could be a really interesting play. Mm -hmm. So Serge, regarding the, the adoption, how is the, uh, I was looking before the, at the, at some trends and it looks like the, the queries for jumping rope were like, two and a half times more after the pandemic hit, but right now they are still 50% more than what it used to be back in 2019. How, how was your experience and how you coped with the demand? Oh man, Valentin, the last couple of years have just been, uh, it's been crazy shit show. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we were, uh, and that's something that's, um, uh, we've learned a tremendous amount from like the last year and a half have just been um, really interesting. So, you know, coming in a early parts of 2020 before uh, all the craziness happened. I mean, we were on pace to, you know, hit projections. We were, we were trending, um, you know, to grow our usual steady, uh, uh, steady rate. And then once that took off, I mean, we essentially had quadrupled or quintupled um, overnight, it felt like. So, um, our, I mean, props to the entire team. I mean, this was a really challenging period on the supply chain side, on the fulfillment and customer service side. I mean, we were, while most fitness brands were stocked out um, and unable to really serve customers during a time of peak demand, like we were air freighting for like two, three months, you know, and, and just making it work. Um, so, that whole, I mean, so we, we figured it out. We were able to deliver ropes to customers. It wasn't always pretty, um, you know, and, but we, I feel like we did a much better job than, than, than most other fitness brands were just had even an opportunity to, um, at that time. So it taught us a lot about supply chain management and just in, inventory management and how to deal with those crises. 
Um, but it also opened up obviously a lot of uh, opportunities for us to test out and, and you know really get creative with the marketing mix. Um, so we started really um, we started testing podcasting. We got into SMS. We you know we started uh, playing around with you know more. Uh, publishing oriented affiliate uh, affiliate plays. So just like, hey, let's just, you know, this is a time where we can really go for it, try to get as, as many learnings as we can, see what clicks. And, um, you know, obviously we knew there was going to be a normal period of normalization. It's not going to be this peak demand for, you know, the rest of time. Um, it's so we were preparing for that. And I mean, that's been a new challenge for us, right? Uh, we're, we knew that the demand that that came from from the uh, from the pandemic and from everyone being at home um, was going to die down, and we were going to see like what the new normal was going to look like. And so that's where that's where we're at right now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're, so that yes, the demand has come down. We're, we're now it's more like, and we kind of have to throw twenty twenty out of the window, you know. And so it's skewed and, and made some forecasting projection. Uh, methodologies a little bit uh, more challenging. Um, so, but we're, we've taken everything we've learned from 2020 from all the different channels we've tried, from all the learnings we've gotten. And I mean, it's, it's definitely accelerated us probably by two, three years. Um, and it's accelerated like the jump rope category. But I think now, you know, uh, one thing we've always faced as a challenge is how to grow this category, right? I mean, there's people are now vying to get back into the gyms and so and, and get outdoors. And so nobody wants to do home workouts. And so to, how do we sort of pivot adjust? And I mean, the last two years have, have really taught us how to do that quickly and effectively. So, I mean, we're, uh, I feel real good about how we managed through that period. Um, and right now it's just a new phase where it's, you know, that's what I love about, you know, what we do. Um, it's always changing. It's always, you know, figuring out, solving new problems. And so, uh, maybe that's the engineering side of me that's always been fulfilled. It's like, it's like every day is something different. And so that's kind of like what I love about the e-commerce space. Yeah. So from, from your, uh, from where you are looking at the e-commerce world right now, Serge, it's, uh, uh, you know that we are big fans of uh, full customer life cycle and uh, focusing not only on the acquisition, but also on the retention and usage and customer happiness, because that's, mm-hmm. that's, from our perspective, uh, long-term growth. What's your take on customer retention and where, where do you think this is, uh, uh, this is going? Do you think it's going to be a market around customer retention? Or is our agencies going to, to, to focus on this? Are companies going to invest in, uh, in, in this aspect? How do, you, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, for those that want to stick around for for a long time, I think they're gonna they're gonna put more uh, more focus on it. Um, you know, for us, I mean, it's we've the the whole customer lifetime value piece. I mean, it's been top of mind from from the early days. Sort of like you know, even going back to some of the product feedback and iterations that we've done by talking and listening to customers. I think at scale, um, those things become a little bit more challenging, and so you're sort of trying to you know, um, you know, speaking to customers is a lot more difficult when you've got, you know, a hundred thousand customers than when you've got, you know, 10 customers. And so, you know, trying to get a good pulse on what the community wants, um, and what the general consensus is, is really good. I mean, now, I mean, we rely for me, 
like when I think about customer lifetime value, probably, you know, first is just like, you got to have a good product. So I feel like if, if your product is shit, you know, you know, good luck, right? <laughs> There's really no reason to, to come back. So for us, I mean, it's, it's a big focus on how can we make the, the our weighted jump rope system in our app the best that it can possibly be, you know? And the app obviously has uh, shown another light on the whole retention piece because that's a whole different ball game um, as we get into like the subscription side of the business. And so that's been something new for us to explore. So for me, it starts with yeah. having a good product and constantly iterating on that product. For another piece is just having a system and method to aggregate all the feedback and, and, um, and insights you're getting from customers. And like I said, at scale, it's a lot more difficult, you know, between Facebook group of a hundred thousand people, you know, the NPS responses, the reviews, the DMS, um, the customer emails, the phone calls, all of that has to be sort of systematically aggregated. So you're uh, compiling the right insights and not, not um, jumping off on anomalies. Right. And so that, that, yeah. that becomes a, an interesting like data um, challenge. And so we're, you know, to me, it's like, how do we pull the right signals from the noise? Um, so a lot of F time, effort, energy is going into, you know, really identifying like uh, what is it that we should be focusing on based on what customers are hearing. Um, and then, you know, for us, I mean, it's, and I'm curious even in, in, in your thoughts, how this plays out um, for, you know, brands that have, um, that are, have like a low to mid uh, AOV, but, you know, are really built on subscription or are really built on, uh, you know, CPG brands, for example, or any brand that has a, you know, uh, a reason for the customer to buy again. You know, for us yeah. as a high AOV brand selling a weighted jump rope system, I mean, once you buy the ropes, I mean, those things are built to last, right? Like, the, yeah. you know, you know, yeah, there's opportunities and we have different sets and you can come back and you can buy, you know, uh, eventually upgrade to the full um, get fit bundle that we call it, you know, with the get lean and the get strong set combined. Once you have that and you've got the app and you've got the mat, you've got everything you need, you know, to basically enjoy cardio for uh, until your ropes break down, which is going to be in a really long time. So, um, you know, we're, for us, it's like, how can we, what, what's the next thing we want to introduce? And for us, it's the, it's the app, but I'm looking at all these other brands, right? I think, um, you know, I think I was listening to one of your episodes recently. Uh, I think it was with another Canadian. I was a beverage brand or something. And yeah, uh, the funny yeah, you guys were talking about uh, product market fit and how it's all about solving a particular need for a customer and, and it's all about retention and coming back to solve that. So when somebody goes out, you know, I'm, I'm mattress shopping right now, right? Because um, we're moving into a new home and I haven't bought a mattress ever. You know, I just had my parents, I think, gave me one when I moved out. And now I'm like, all right, I want to buy a mattress for myself. But I'm thinking like, hey, this thing's going to last me 10 years, right? So, you know, the brands that are vying for my attention and my dollars, how are they thinking about, you know, customer lifetime value? They deliver a great experience that's going to solve my problem, but 10 years down the road, am I going to go back to the same brand? Is that brand even going to be around in 10 years? 
Yeah. So I think about that a lot because you asked like just generally for where CLV going. I think it's brand dependent and, and obviously for brands that have a, you know, that are built on subscription or, or high repeat purchase rate or, you know, consumable goods. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense for us. I mean, as a high AOP brand, I'm focused on like, I, I got to get you to try these ropes, right? Because I know when you try them, you're going to love them and you're going to use them for a long time. Sure, you might come back to buy some other things. So, curious in your thoughts, inputs, just uh, around that uh, comparison. Yeah. So, but uh, indeed, from from my from where I see the world, uh, uh, indeed, if you if your product is suboptimal, don't even bother to to repeat that. And if you haven't validated that the customers are even using the product, or and if they use it, if they are happy about using it continuously. Then that's another uh, that, that, that's another thing that it should be handled properly. But if we are looking at the uh, the brand experience and uh, the the consumption cycles, the, there is this game that the brands are doing. Uh, for instance, at least from where where I see your your products are pretty strong and they 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 are. Uh, uh, they look at least with this metal stuff that uh, they are going to last for at least I don't know one two years. So what I think the game is uh, and the trade-off that a brand should, uh, should should do is: Am I going to diversify into different product lines so that I can expand maximize the profit per customer and to to be able to actually have a have a living as a brand? Or am I going to diminish the, the quality of the product and the life uh, of the product by with, with the risk that customers are going to note, uh, notice this, of course, and uh, consider that they should be migrating to other vendor. And uh, from my perspective, where for, for instance, where you are niched right now, the, this debate is simple. I mean, you, you, you've, you've di- decide, consciously decided from the way I look at things that you will diversify and you, you will expand with those mats and those, uh, I don't know, t-shirts and the other stuff right. so that the brand is going to be uh, uh, surviving and thriving on, on the existing uh, customer base. And of course, the, the customer lifetime value is strongly affected by the customer experience as well, because we've seen all sorts of uh, companies. At this moment, we have the, let's say, privilege of looking at 2,000 different uh, brands and their data. And we see, uh, we, we could see that there are, at this moment, there are uh, three different pillars that are affecting the customer lifetime value, product, experience, and marketing. And ideally, you should have, all of them, but if your product is poor, then don't bother. Uh, I mean, you could give an outstanding experience by selling bullshit, and it, it's still not not going to move the needle in the uh, right. in the future. So you need all of them, but product is mandatory. If you've nailed the product, and in order to nail the product, you need customer feedback, and you need this type of NPS, and that's why we are completely uh, obsessed about NPS at different moments, and there are two and even three different moments depending on the product. Let's say if you are selling consumable goods, then uh, the, you, you do it only two times, when the customers are placing the order and when the customers are getting the order and consume it, right? And the, that's a single moment. It's not like if you are selling, for instance, uh, 
coffee or tea or whatever, snacks. It's the lifetime of the product. It's pretty uh, short. Right. But if you're selling this type of products like you are, I would do the NPS at three different moments and I would look at the deltas between all of them. When, when I analyze the shopping experience, how was the, the, the initial shopping experience, which means, which means user experience. Then I would analyze the shopping, the, the buying experience at the end, right? So how was the uh, delivery? How was the overall experience to actually get the goods? And the third moment was, I don't know, after a month or two, have you used the product? Because if you have zombie customers which are getting the product, but they are not using it, you don't want that to happen. You don't want to get revenue from customers which are not getting the value of your products because that means you are wasting the resources of this beautiful planet. You are tricking customers into buying stuff that they don't actually need and you are not benefiting from the network effect of happy customers which are actually using the product and uh, you, having the network effect and word of mouth. And that's how I see the, the, the CLV game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like your, uh, I like where you're coming from on the, on the NPS. I mean, for us, it's primarily the third one. Um, yeah. so, you know, just uh, your traditional, how likely are you to recommend uh, after giving them a few weeks to, to use the product? What, what question are you using? Um, obviously, you're not going to use uh, how likely are you to recommend X um, after they've you know, shopped on the site. So are you asking them to rank their shopping experience from zero to 10? No, we're actually asking the same thing throughout the whole experience. Interesting. Because, because once you, you, it's like you're just touching the product, right? You, you, when customers are buying, they are not buying the product. They are buying the promise of the product and they are paying for getting something in the future. And that's why you want to see if they are already willing to recommend after the shopping experience. Then when mm -hmm. they receive the product or when they use the product, you are asking them the same thing so that you can see the deltas between them. You just want to see if there's drop-offs, uh, basically, yeah. between uh, the experience. The moments. The, yeah. Yeah, the different this is, this is showing the expectation gap. That's what we call mm -hmm. it. Because if you set expectations, for instance, we have brands which they have the expectation set at 90, you know, and uh, the, the, the marketing is so compelling. Everything is so beautifully done that customers are getting their card and they are uh, inserting, giving you money for, for a promise, right? And 90, it's, it's a pretty good NPS. We are not seeing this that often. I mean, the, the average NPS, for instance, is uh, around 70, 71. But if they have a 90, imagine that they've set the bar over there and then once they got the product, it's like 75. And that means they've over-promised and under-delivered. And that also means that their retention is not going to be there. It's actually better not to over-promise and not to promise the moon and the earth and, uh, and Mars. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I'll, I'll dig a little bit more. Um, I haven't seen, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've uh, test shopped plenty. Um, I can't say I've seen many post-purchase uh, NPS requests. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's maybe some SaaS stuff, but in the e-com space, at least I haven't seen that played out very much. But it's interesting yeah. like that. 
Yeah, that's what we, we what that's what we've uh, discovered by working closely with our our customers, mm-hmm. and we we made it after we realized with some of our customers that they had issues. The products were great, but they had issues with the uh, with the f- uh, fulfillment and packaging. And then we we drilled down. The bigger the company, the more segmentation they will need. So right, 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 right. What we've put in our own technology and reveal is. You, you'll be able to, to see the NPS by city, location, and by the picker, let's say, who picks the product, who fulfills yeah. the order, who's touching the, the customer on the customer support. So the, the bigger the company, the more ca- data you need because you need to, you can't do 10x anymore. You need to do, right, right. I don't know, 12% uplifts, you know, 12% mm-hmm. is fantastic if you can do it month over month with incrementally uh, optimizing the whole process. And that's why this Delta NPS is great. And also the segmented NPS throughout the whole value chain, who's touching the customer, because we have, for instance, a, a, a pretty large company, which has like 20 people in their customer service, and they are constantly looking on the NPS by, by their customer reps. And they constantly improve by looking at the guy that gets 96 or so. Yeah. And he's training the other ones around what they are doing and changing yeah. the procedures around that. That's what I love about e-com. I mean, it's the NPS alone has just evolved so much um, over the past. I mean, I, I first learned about NPS five, six years ago. I mean, it's... Um, and we, we lean on, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, we lean on the feedback we get from our, you know, our, you know, there was a initially, for example, like our process was uh, call up every passive. Like, what did we miss on, yeah. you know, on the on the expectation? Like, what, what was the one or two things we could have done better? Right. And that goes into a yeah. queue. Uh, obviously, for detractors, I mean, you know, let's fix those problems. Usually it's some sort of issue mm-hmm. um, that may or may or may not already be in the queue, right? And then for promoters, um, you know, trying to like really s- run through and uh, try to find patterns. For what, what is it that they're, that, that most people are saying they love and, and yeah. amplify that. So we, we, we try to like lean heavily on the, on the different categories and approach them a little bit differently. But um, yeah, it's, it's real cool to see, you know, how it's expanded, right? I, I love that. Um, the deltas in terms of tracking uh, to see if you're setting the expectations uh, the right way and if you're meeting those expectations. So uh, I'll take that back. So thanks. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. And uh, another another in- interesting thing is that uh, the e-commerce companies are uh, are using this type of siloed technologies, but those should be orchestrated completely around the, the, the customers. So one more thing that we are doing with our customers is that we connect things like ShipStation with Gorgias as a help desk, with Reveal as a customer segmentation, with Shopify to tag the customers, with Facebook to do remarketing campaigns based on the detractors. And all of those things, when you orchestrate them around the customer, they will feel like you actually care about them because you are relevant at any touch point. So if I give you a zero on the NPS and I'm a former a loyal customer, we have this RFM segmentation, right? And we, mm-hmm. we, we call them the soulmates, you know, for, for, for companies with a large SKU base, that's fantastic to, to be able to see, I don't know, we have a customer that placed 25 orders and suddenly he gave us zero at the NPS. 
you want an alert in your ticketing yeah. system and you want someone to actually pick up the phone and call that valuable customer that spent, I don't know, $3,000 and it's a consumer, it's not like a B2B. And someone spent $3,000 on your shop and he's giving you a zero on the NPS and you do nothing. That's even more frustrating for, for that customer if you do nothing about it. And that's why you need this real-time uh, orchestration throughout your systems. Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. I like that a lot. What, what do you think is the biggest sort of for the, for the brands that have bought into the, you know, what it takes, um, you know, on the CLV side, like where do you think the, the biggest challenges are um, over, you know, for the, for those who are really trying to do it the right mm-hmm. way? I think it's the, the, the short term, uh, expectation. Uh, it's hard. CLV is hard. It's not, you know, you, you add the new campaign and you've hit the targeting, you know, it's like uh, 17 to 20 from Florida and that's it. You, you yeah. you've hit the nail on, on the head. CLV is hard and it's more systematic. So you need to tweak the whole customer journey. And that means you need internal alignment. But the beauty is that once you start it, then you've suddenly aligned other departments like social media is now suddenly caring about what the email uh, teams are doing and what the customer service is doing and what the fulfillment center is doing because everyone is aligned around the North Star metric, which is if it's going down or if it's going down or up, then everyone is involved and they need, they now have to understand how they are contributing. So internal alignment and short uh, and long-term perspective, these are things that are more, uh, are not that sexy. It's not like, Oh, we've uh, we've reached internal uh, alignment. Nobody talks about it in the e-commerce. Everybody talks about uh, new campaigns, uh, ROAS, iOS 15, stuff like that. Because this this is the hype, you know. That's everyone talking about. Yeah. Nobody's talking about the basics. Like, hey, get your shit together and align everyone around what's what's the most important thing: the customer happiness, the customer lifetime value. Because that's how we make money. If we that's the 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 growth wheel in 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 e-commerce, you know. I mean, you you, you you have this flywheel: happy customers, bringing other customers, coming back, buying again. That's it. You've you you've made the system working, and now you can expand to I don't know to go to Singapore and to Asia, and you yeah. can go. That's another thing that they go international, but they have a a broken system when when where the customer is going, and it's frustrating. It's like you bombard him with remarketing ads. But you haven't saw, sorted out a ticket that it's there. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to uh, sort of KPIs uh, that help you keep a pulse on these things, I mean, we look at obviously the NPS, like we talked about, minus some of the Delta things you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, you know, the repeat purchase rate. Um, you know, there's the. Um, oh, what else do we got? Um, there's the NPS, the repeat purchase rate. Um, I'm blanking on the third. Well, what other uh, KPIs are you guys looking at to make sure it's like, all right, um, you know, are CLVs yeah. trending in the right direction? Yeah. What is heavily affecting the the CLV and is not that uh, known is the uh, average days between the transaction. If this is going up or down, that's that's pretty important. Let's say if if the the cadence of buying be, 
depending on the purchase cycle of your product. So if it's, I don't know, three months or six months or two months, and if this is going to three, four months, that means you're acquiring not fit customers. If you uh, don't measure it, you can't improve it. That's what the saying uh, is, right? Another yeah. thing is to, the chance to place the next order after the first and after the second. How is this going, you know, month over month, like after one order or quarter over quarter, depending on your purchase cycle. If uh, Again, if you're buying fast-moving consumer goods, that then that means this, the purchase cycle is like six weeks or six days, right? And people are buying every two weeks. They are, they are restocking every two weeks. But another important thing is to calibrate your email remarketing on the average days between transactions. Because if you are bombarding at the wrong time, then, then nobody's going to be at home when you, you, when you knock at the door. They haven't consumed the product or they've already consumed the product and it, they, they, they had a the bad experience. Uh, so every yeah. days between transactions, chance to place the next order, cohort stickiness rate. It's another thing that we are, uh, uh, we are looking at in Reveal, for instance. It's out of the customers that bought this month, how many of them are buying next month? And how is this training? Is, is this going up or down? So the second month cohort stickiness is showing you if your retention efforts are going well, because retention is hard to move from, I don't know, let's say you have 20% retention rate. It's hard to get from 20 to 24%. But if you make experiments to improve the customer retention, for instance, you change your onboarding uh, uh, skin, uh, campaigns and you do a surprise and delight campaign in the package, you know, you want to see if this cohort from last month has a higher stickiness rate. Because if you look at that, then the retention is not going to be so heavily affected because it takes into consideration all the other customers. But this particular cohort, you can see it right away. And other metrics are more in, in the field of, uh, let's say, customer experience, like time to first response, uh, time to resolution, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Interesting, yeah. No, I love it. I, I love where the seal, you know, the, the whole lifetime value field is going. Um, I think there's, yeah. especially today, I mean, everything is so acquisition focused. Um, and like you said, just not a not as, uh, as sexy of a topic, but uh, definitely as important. So, yeah. um, not very cool. We're, we're hypnotized about it. And we, our bet is that in two, three years, there will be a, there will be a total ecosystem that's going to be building, we will have a new role in the company, like the customer value optimization person, you know, whose hand, if nobody's responsible about CLV, who's going to increase it, right? Who's going to improve it? And uh, we build this academy around customer value. We, we are, we definitely bet on this because having a data-driven approach and listening to your customers and taking into consideration what they actually want and how they feel. It's common sense, but nobody's doing. I mean, we have these yeah. disparate uh, uh, topics that we're handling, but we're not orchestrating this around the customer. So, Serge, I have the last question for, uh, for, for you regarding the, how you blend these roles. I mean, you're a father and you're proud of it. And you're, you're, so you're, you're a dad and uh, I can see on your social media that you're not the workaholic that uh, uh, avatar that we, we used to refer to a few years ago. How you, are, how you are blending this, how you are mixing those two lives and it, are there two lives or it's actually a one life where you 
uh, you, you need to deliver? Yeah, um, no, it's a good question. Obviously, a relevant one more now than than ever, just because of everything's just been this, this sort of been blended for for everyone. I mean, I don't have that much experience as a as a dad yet. I've been doing it for three years, but it's been the best job I've I've ever had. So I've been really uh, really fortunate. Um, the whole craziness from last year, I mean, has really uh, made things challenging in the sense that. Uh, you know, everyone, you know, is home and, you know, you can see behind me. I mean, that's, that's where my baby sleeps. Um, so everything's just come together. And so I, I just I felt super fortunate. And I, I think I'll look back one day to this time and say like, man, like I, I feel really blessed that I got to spend all this time with a growing eight month old, with a growing three year old, um, see them 24 seven as, as tough as it, as it's been uh, to try to make everything work. And, uh, props to my wife for sort of leading the charge on that. Um, <laughs> you know, but for me, I mean, uh, I've always been like very driven, very ambitious. I've, I've, I'm all, I've always got stuff going on. I wouldn't have lasted at Crossrope if I'm not sort of developing myself, um, you know, as I need to. Like my roles changed dr- dramatically uh, from when I first started as sort of like tinkering and trying to build something to, you know, now leading a team of 10 and our organizations but almost at 40. And, you know, the, the roles evolved quite a bit and, you know, uh, it's forced me to really level up and, you know, and learn quickly and, and, and adjust. So, but I mean, I'm, uh, I'm all about and always have been about systems. And um, so I, I feel like I'm, very effective and efficient and compartmentalizing and, and creating a life for myself where I can, when I'm working, I'm hundred yeah. percent focused. It helps uh, when you find something you really love um, and that doesn't feel like work. Like, yeah, it's, it's incredibly challenging. Things are always changing. feels like day one still, or you're just like a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like maybe they'll figure me out today, but you know, <laughs> you just sort of keep pushing, keep learning um, and then, Hey, when, when I clock out, I, I, I do my very best to, um, to, you know, take that off my mind and focus on my family, focus on my kids. Uh, cause it's, you know, that's the most important thing to me. Um, and I, every day is, a you know, bring something new with, uh, with two little growing kids. So whatever, um, routine I've set for myself to make <laughs> everything work probably breaks on, a yeah. On a weekly basis, I'm constantly adjusting and constantly making it. Um, so it's, you know, I mean, it's last year's really put pressure on all of that. And, uh, but it's been fun, man. I, I, I yeah. feel really fortunate, really lucky that I, uh, I get to do what I do. You know, fortunate for my, you know, just that for, for everything I've got, for all the people I've got to meet. Um, so it's been, uh, there's, there's really not nothing I can complain about. So just keep on keeping on. Um, you know, life's too, life's really short, man. We just got to enjoy what we're doing. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Serge, thanks a lot for being uh, together with us. Uh, if uh, people would uh, like to get in touch with you, where they can find you? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's uh, really nice having a, co- a conversation about all this and send my best to Juliana. Um, people want to find me best places on LinkedIn, unless you're pitching me something that don't, um, and then second is, uh, if you want to check out Crossrope, um, just go to crossrope.com. You can learn all about, uh, our way to jump rope system or app, um, 
pretty much right on the homepage. So feel free to connect, ping me, always uh, excited and interested to meet new people, especially in the space. Um, or if you like jumping, I'm always up to talk about that. So uh, yeah, that's me. Excellent. So Serge, thanks a lot for being together with us and thanks everyone for listening and we'll uh, see each other next Thursday. Until then, keep on keeping on to, to go to a, a master in this. Thank you, Valentin. All the best. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Vitex. Vitex is the first and only fully integrated e-commerce marketplace and OMS solution that offers fastest time to revenue and no upgrades ever. So go ahead, check them out, vtex.com. <laughs>